Hi everybody, I'm Katie. And I'm Rhiannon. And welcome to Haunting Cases. Good evening, ghosts and goblins, and welcome to Haunting Cases. <laughs> didn't talk right away, so I'm like, I, I, I guess this is me. All right. <laughs> yes, the listeners are welcome in by my allergy sniffles. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what a way to welcome them in. Just, I can smell you. <laughs> I was like, what a way to freak some people out. <laughs> You can what? <laughs> you can smell me through my speakers? What kind of technology is this? Just some poor old lady's like sitting there listening to us and she's like, is is that Rihanna sniffling that I hear? And that's, I can smell you. <laughs> you know what? It, it's not even going to be the old lady. It's somebody my age that's like jogging on the treadmill, listening to a podcast and it's just, she goes flying off the treadmill because that's what i would do i'm an overdramatic bitch and i'd just be like bye gone i'd be running for my life i'd be like you guys fucking what <laughs> yeah sorry listeners if we just give anybody a heart attack oh gosh i liked my good evening ghosts and goblins oh yes it is yes. haunting cases at 11.06 p.m., meaning nightmare fuel time, hopefully. <laughs> or 1.06 a.m. for me. It's 1.06! <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's bedtime. <laughs> I was just sitting here enjoying a nice cup of tea, and it's just, it's going up my nostrils. <laughs> I can tell you Earl Grey might taste really good in the evening, but it don't smell very good. <laughs> it's in my sinuses. It doesn't work as a natural, as a natural sinus rinse. I don't like it up there. <laughs> you wanted to share with the listeners before we uh get to our disclaimer Ooh. so in the last <laughs> kid's gonna spill the tea now <laughs> yes let me just yink now all over the place <laughs> all over the place everywhere just let me like out of my nostrils anyway <laughs> i've been in a mood and i've returned to elden ring in the last week oh because I'm like, I got four bosses that I have not beat yet. So I'm looking for them. I'm hunting these bitches down. <laughs> I found one that it sounds like they're playing the fucking violin. Ugh. Got my ass handed to me. Went to the grocery store later that afternoon. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. And about that time I get out of the car and my mom's getting out of the car. And I kind of did like a side look at her. 
And she kind of looked at me because I'm hearing violin music. I'm like, is she hearing that too? She didn't say anything. So we go inside, we get to grocery shopping, and we come back out, and the violin's still going. I'm like, am I in a boss battle? (laughs) I'm like, where are they? I don't want to trigger them. Where are they? And she's like, are you okay over there? I'm like, I I don't know. (laughs) My instinctive reaction is no, because this usually leads to bad things in my video games. Where is this music coming from? It was a guy that was, like, playing down the street. I went and tipped him because he was really good. Like, he's, like, he was fine. He was doing really good. (laughs) But he definitely scared the hell out of me for, like, a solid second because I'm, like, I've been living in video game world for way too long. I'm, like, this is how boss battles start. Where is it? Where are they? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I really enjoy violin music. But I don't know how I feel about it being uh, boss battle music. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, that was my thought. That was the thing that, like, lured me into this boss battle, too. Because I came, like, walking in. I'm like, oh, such pretty music. And then, like, it went boom, boom. I'm like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, shit. (laughs) All right, listeners. Be careful with your violin around Katie, apparently. Fortunately, I have no equipment with me and no special skills. You will take me down and I will cry. <laughs> Actually, I do have some special skills. You might not take me down super fast, but I will still cry. <laughs> and scream and kick, you know? <laughs> I was trying to be Liam Neeson there. Let's just roll the disclaimer. Here comes the disclaimer. <laughs> While we understand that some individuals listen for the entertainment aspect of true crime, it's important to remember that these are real people with families and friends who may still be suffering from their loss. These stories are not meant to open old wounds or cause further emotional damage to those involved. We remind you to please be respectful, do not dox, or contact those involved with cases. While paranormal occurrences and urban legends may be sources of tourism, please be considerate if you visit one of these locations. Do not engage in trespassing and be sure to ask for permission if you plan on recording. Be aware of your surroundings and travel safely. The cases discussed in this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back in, listeners. I hope you are excited to hear our paranormal tale today that I have for you. (laughs) Today, we will be discussing a case in Canada. So, should be a a good time. (laughs) I don't think I've done a case in Canada yet. I have one on my list to do that's from Canada, but I haven't done it yet. Ooh. Yeah, I don't think I've so. done any Canadian cases yet. I think this is my first Canadian case. So I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> I'm excited too. Is this our first out of country case? Or have we done out of nah, country? Nah, I've done, I think, two? At least one. At least one case. I think two well, cases. Well, the Hope Diamond. Of, yeah. Well, yeah, Hope Diamond and then Pinky Pinky was out of country. Uh, Okapa was out of country. Yeah, so I've done at least a few now. I've done a few. Oh, wait, I <laughs> I did Elizabeth Bathory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's out of country. I've also done Vera Netherensy, yep, yep, so it's like, yep. 
Yeah, I, I got a couple I've done too. I'm like, wait a minute. I know that we've done more. <laughs> yes, we have left the United States a few times. <laughs> if you cannot tell, we have not gone to bed in quite some time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to go ahead and get through this episode so that we can get to bed. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, let's get to it. So. Today, we will be discussing a case specifically in Toronto. So let's start with a little bit of history about Toronto. In the early days of Toronto, there were streams coming from Lake Ontario intersecting all over the town where bridges and crossing systems had to be built. Garrison Creek was the most difficult to cross in some areas. It actually created a deep ravine and the mouth of the creek historically had been large enough to moor a few small boats. So we're talking not just like little creeks, we're talking some pretty significant waterways going through the town at this time. By the early 1900s, settlement was so dense and the creek was so polluted with sewage waste and garbage that a sewer system became a necessity for public health. By the mid-1920s, Garrison Creek had been entirely built over, at which point many of the other creeks in the area had also been built over. So this ended up creating a network of underground waterways. And this was not unusual. This was actually a common practice during the Industrial Revolution, and thus this was not an out-of-the-ordinary thing by any means. And... Also, the end of the 19th century, um, by that point, there was a better understanding of waterborne diseases and thus the importance of sewer systems and sanitation. So we started to see uh, this become more of a common practice in a lot of towns and cities in different places. Nowadays, most of these tunnels are not open to the public. They're generally only available to maintenance workers who occasionally need access to them. However, I will mention briefly, Toronto is well known for its modern underground tunnels called PATH, which make up a huge pedestrian walkway bordered by shops in a climate-controlled environment. Now, this is the largest underground shopping complex in the world, and apparently it can actually be a quicker walk going through the path than it is uh, sometimes going above ground, because it doesn't follow the city grid. But it can be confusing to navigate, so it has some color-coded signs to mark cardinal directions and relevant landmarks to help people navigate. And I will say quickly here, if any of you listeners have been there, I'd love to hear about it. It sounds really cool. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, colored, colored ways to walk. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds pretty. I, I'd like to see that. Right? I feel like I color code a lot of things to organize. So I'm like, that would make sense to me. I, I could do that. I might not actually get lost in the place for once. <laughs> I've literally got a set of sticky notes on my Etsy like shopping list right now that I want so I don't have to go through the headache of like remembering where everything is in books when I go forward with cases because I'm like <laughs> it would have been so much more simpler when doing Israel just to mark a portion in there and then like oh that's where it is and flip back to it because it's color-coded <laughs> yep that's definitely the way to do it I got a whole like color coding highlighting system <laughs> for when I'm reading ebooks and stuff for cases <laughs> Definitely have developed some complex uh, ways to organize my notes. <laughs> I 
should have came to you first and been like, how are you organizing when you read? Because my friggin' Gemini brain took off and took the wheel <laughs> and just didn't look back at poor Virgo. case here and our story does take place in a part of toronto previously called cabbage town so i do want to briefly cover the history of this part of toronto before we move on with the case if there's no cabbages in cabbage town i'm going to be disappointed (laughs) are there cabbages in cabbage town funny you mention cabbages in cabbage town (laughs) so it was definitely named after Cabbages in Cabbage Town. <laughs> so in the mid-1800s, Irish immigrants moved widely into this area to escape the Great Famine. And they were so impoverished that they had to resort to growing cabbage in their front yard in order to feed their families. Thus our cabbage from Cabbage Town. <laughs> now this... Obviously, it was not a good thing, and the surrounding community thus named this neighborhood Cabbage Town as it was considered to be a distasteful slum, so it was by no means meant in a positive way. It was definitely looked down upon, uh, but that's where it got its name, Cabbage Town. Now, the 1900s brought gentrification with it, but by the 1970s, much of this area was still decrepit by nature and just falling apart so even though we saw this area of toronto start to move away from poverty and start appealing to people with a bit more money it's the area still wasn't really being upkept very well in this part town and that brings us to august of 1978 so at this time there's a man living in toronto named ernest who had a strange experience. Now, he was 51 years old and had been raising a litter of kittens with his wife of 19 years named Barbara. Now, when one of the kittens went missing, he searched for it near their apartment. While he was searching around looking for anywhere the kitten may have gotten lost, he noticed there was this dark opening in the ground. So he climbed 15 feet down a broken fire escape leading into an area that was once part of the street, but had since been surrounded by four walls of buildings and was now completely sectioned off. Yeah, I thought it was strange when I was reading about it. I guess it's just the way they built it up. The The way it was described to me in a few different sources is basically this had previously been like, sounded like almost like an alleyway between two apartment buildings. And then for whatever reason, they ended up, building in on those other two sides where now there's just this little it's almost like a little courtyard but it's not because it's just apparently just not really accessible and it sounds like it was just a mess and kind of I wouldn't say full of rubble but you know maybe not not kept up (laughs) but yeah okay yeah interesting spot so he makes it down into the spot that's kind of been cut off from the rest of society uh, where he's seen this dark opening in the ground and he finds what he described as a dark cave. Now he hears coming out of the darkness this mewling that sounds like a a distressed animal and he thinks, uh, you know, maybe this is my kitten and it's gotten in there and it's injured. So he crawls about 10 feet into the cave with a flashlight. (laughs) 
Katie's making a face right now. <laughs> oh, nay, nay. <laughs> Hell to the no. We go, mm, I'll check back later. Let's go to other places first. Yeah, I was like, mm, oh, no. I mean, I'm Dark, so- mysterious cave that seems to have come from nowhere. <laughs> or nice, peaceful road. That's possibly well lit. <laughs> I mean, I'm such an animal lover. If it was like one of my fur babies missing and I was like, oh my God, my fur baby went in a cave and set this gun and I might go in there, but I don't you're know. diving head first and I'm like, that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye to your co host because I just watched Rhiannon dive into a cave after her. <laughs> Her missing animal and God knows what kind of cryptids and aliens are in there to eat her up. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, I found Kai. He was on the street, the well-lit street, eating out of a garbage can. Right. <laughs> I don't know what animal's in there that you're going after, but it's not your dog. Good luck Me with that. Me and your dog are standing here like, the hell is she doing? The guy's like, I'm not even going to follow. It's unfortunate. He probably wouldn't because it's strange. Oh, man. So, just like Katie said, um, not always the best idea to go into dark spaces where you hear uh, an animal crying in distress. Uh, so... Ernest, like I said, made it about 10 feet into the what he described as a cave. And his flashlight lit something up standing in the darkness. Oh, hell no. <laughs> oh, hell no. <laughs> H-E double hockey sticks, no! describe here what he saw quote it was pitch black in there I saw it with my flashlight the eyes were orange and red slanted it was long and thin almost like a monkey three feet long large teeth weighing maybe 30 pounds with slate gray fur end quote that's when you apologize for entering its home and back your ass out as fast as you can. And you go, oh, sorry, must have the wrong house. <laughs> and leave. Oh, it only gets better. <laughs> oh, no. So at this point, the creature hisses at him, go away, go away. Before yeah, get the fuck out of his house. What the hell are you doing in there? <laughs> took off down a long side tunnel and Ernest rushed back out to the surface in terror. I was going to say, this motherfucker followed it. <laughs> no, he got the hint. He got the hint. Good. Uh, but no, With that, that's the part that, for when I was reading all these different sources, that seems to be the part that really gets people. Up until that point, they're like, Okay, maybe it's just a weird animal, but then when it's like, oh, it started talking, <laughs> then they're like, maybe not. 
<laughs> maybe not. When when the big scary monkey like thing says go away, go away, you go the fuck away. <laughs> Good advice, Kate. Good advice. <laughs> you go away. After this happened, it sounds like Ernest may have confided in his wife and maybe uh, maybe a few other people he was close to, but he never actually approached the media for fear of being labeled as a drunk or as crazy. Now, the only reason this was ever reported upon and we actually heard about it was he was approached by a reporter from The Sun, a local Toronto newspaper, after they heard from a reliable contact who is a co-worker of one of Ernest's relatives um, that about what happened. And so basically it sounds like Ernest had confided in one of his relatives about this experience and they were not quite as considerate in, in thinking about the fact he probably didn't want everybody knowing about this and they told his co-worker and his co-worker told the newspaper and now they're coming and knocking on his door. So he actually didn't really have much interest at all in speaking to the reporter about this. He definitely just wanted to stay on the down low. I, I mean, honestly, he was worried about being doxxed. That was his, his concern. Uh, so he ended up agreeing to speak on the experience if his last name was not revealed, uh, but he was still definitely hesitant to tell his story. Now, the reporter did approach Ernest, Ernest's wife, friends, and neighbors, and they all agreed that Ernest was telling the truth, that he saw exactly what he says he saw, and that he doesn't normally scare easily. They also stated that while he's been known to have a drink occasionally, he's not a drunk, and he was not drinking when this happened. So, following uh, the... Sun reporter speaking to Ernest about this. Uh, they both went back to the site of the encounter in March of 1979 to see if they could go into the tunnel and he could show the reporter like where exactly this happened. However, upon reaching this spot where he had originally entered the cave, or what he described as the cave, really more of a tunnel, uh, the, they found that the entrance had partially collapsed in on itself. There had been this concrete slab that uh, had just crumbled and broken apart and now had created this space that was too small for an adult to squeeze through. It's his front door. He locked it this time. <laughs> I don't want visitors, damn it! <laughs> I don't want visitors, go away! <laughs> Now, they did find the corpse of a cat half buried in the tunnel. <laughs> yeah, it made me sad, too. I was like, oh. No, it was down there. At least he had the decency to, like, bury it. Just <laughs> sit in one piece. <laughs> um, I assume so. It didn't okay. detail the okay. state of the I'm corpse. I'm like, please don't tell me that it was, like, half-eaten or something. I no, can't. no, no. It was half-buried by, like, the rubble of the collapse. But as far as I can tell, like, they didn't notice, like, anything had been chomping on it or anything. Uh, but he did say it was not his missing kitten. So it wasn't the kitten he was looking for. It was some other stray cat. 
pistol. First. Maybe. Now, they did speculate that this tunnel likely led to the sewer system, and that perhaps this was the point where the creature accessed the surface. This actually concerned Toronto's sewer department enough that they then performed inspections in this area to ensure that children could not enter the sewer system here and get lost in it, because this opening was large enough for a child to squeeze through. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that would not be good. Especially oh, no. when you might have man eating monkeys down there. <laughs> However, a longtime sewer worker did say that while it is possible that this tunnel connected to the sewers, it was not probable. And it was instead more likely that it had formed from erosion due to prop excuse me, due to poor drainage over the years. Now, like you said, some people have speculated that the creature was responsible for collapsing the entrance because it didn't want anyone looking for it. So that is definitely something that has come up. Uh, and even the sewage uh, employees took him seriously. I couldn't find any records of any of them actually coming out and stating outright that they necessarily like believed full-heartedly what he said. But at the same time, none of them were mocking him or acting as if it wasn't possible. They all took it very seriously and, and basically all agreed that, you know, there's some weird shit down in the sewers. It's not always the safest place. Like, you know, we, we're not judging him, basically. They're I, like, I, we've seen it too, but we're not coming forward with our stories. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. We call him Billy Bob, but that's not his real name. <laughs> Now, I do have one quote from one of the sewage employees. Uh, quote, I don't know what he saw down there, but I'll tell you one thing. If we could get in there, I sure as hell wouldn't want to go down alone. End quote. So that could kind of give you an idea. Yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> the these boys, these men have seen some shit. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about the logs rolling down the sewer, okay? <laughs> I am talking they have seen Big Monkey Man, okay? <laughs> They seen him. <laughs> they ain't no fucking way. <laughs> now, this creature became known as the Cabbage Town Tunnel Monster or the Toronto Tunnel Monster. More recently, one of the co hosts of Unsolved Canadian Mysteries podcast interviewed the reporter who originally reported on the story. And they stated that they did believe that Ernest's story was genuine and that Ernest did seem frightened by what he saw down there. And he, because he didn't approach the media or ask for any sort of payment in return for the story, it didn't seem like he had any sort of motivation to be making this up. And if anything, he definitely <laughs> didn't really want to share the story to begin with. He had to be pressured into it. So uh, that was one thing that jumped out at me when they were talking about their conversation with the reporter is that the reporter did state you know, he didn't seem like he was making this shit up. <laughs> Poor dude totally got bullied into sharing his horrific tale. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's discuss a few different hypotheses for what this creature could have been. Because this is the only recorded sighting of this ever happening in the tunnels underneath Toronto. But again, that's not to say other people haven't seen it and just haven't come out and said it. So one of the main theories for what this creature could have been 
is actually uh, a creature spoken of in the Algonquian tribes of Canada. They have spoken of hairy humanoids that used to live in the creeks before they were covered up, and these were called Mamegwesi. Now, the Mamegwesi were water spirits that lived in rivers or on the riverbanks and ate fish and wild rice, as well as smoked tobacco. They were described as being three to four feet tall with a large head, hairy all over, including their face, and speaking with a voice that sounds like the whine of a dragonfly. Okay, so my low is not right. I have to go up here. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> Much better. <laughs> yeah, definitely think like a, a nasally sounding voice is how they've been described. Yeah, it's like a bee. <laughs> or a dragonfly just that going away. Now, uh, a few different indigenous people have described them slightly differently. The Cree and Innu peoples described the Mamegwesi as having narrow faces. Some Menominee described them as having no noses. And one source I found also said they were known to have a long beard, short arms, and bowed legs. So there is a little bit of differences in the exact description of them, depending on who you're talking to. But generally, it's accepted we're talking about something about the size of a, a child and hairy all over <laughs> with a large head. Now, as far as their temperament, they were generally described to be benign creatures, but they could be mischievous. They were known to blow canoes off their path, tip canoes over, or steal items from people when they were not properly respected. Thus, it was believed that you should provide gifts such as a pinch of tobacco to show your respect. And I will apologize up front. I'm going to read um, throughout this episode a few different uh, Native American, or I guess it's not Native American, Native Canadian, Indigenous peoples <laughs> phrases, and I may mispronounce them. Uh, so in regards to this idea of providing gifts to the Mamegwesi, uh, if they ever saw a rock that looked like a part of the human body, these were often called Mamegwesi Wabik, or a Memeguesi rock. And in superstition, it was a belief that you should toss tobacco at the rock as an offering for the Memeguesi. Now, one thing to note, however, when discussing their behavior is they were never described to be outright hostile. So that was one thing that did come up in discussion is looking at this Toronto tunnel monster, uh, the way it behaved is not how traditionally they would imagine a Mamegwesi would behave. Um, so that was one thing that was pointed out. Okay. Some stories tell that the Mamegwesi originated from the bark of trees, and then as far as where their name came from, it's debated whether it it may have originated from the Ojibwe word for hairy, which is Mamie, or the word for butterfly, Mamengwe. And a, another custom that they had in regards to the Mamegwesi um, was that if you dropped something in the water while you were canoeing, you might say Mamegwesi o cat ayan, or the Mamegwesi will have that. Uh, so again, the idea of providing offerings or just accepting that they're letting you use this waterway and we need to pay our respects. Uh, 
Now, in some Ojibwe traditions, Mamagwesi are believed to only be seen by children and medicine people. However, some other indigenous groups believe they could be seen by anyone, and the Mamagwesi themselves may even bestow gifts upon people. I could only find this in one other source, this idea of the Mamagwesi approaching people with gifts, and that source specifically stated that they would only do that in the case of if they ran into an adult, that they would then ask that adult human to keep their identity a secret, like, don't go out and tell people about me. Um, and that if that human did so and kept the secret, they would reward them if they did. And this, I assume, is what they meant when they were discussing that the Mamiguese may bestow gifts upon humans. It sounds more <laughs> like a bribe, if anything. But you know what? If you're, if you're trying to stay out of sight and, and do your cryptid thing, you know, totally get that that's cool yeah, like <laughs> you're just trying to be you and do your own thing and just you know stay out of sight out of mind keep away from people you right? know something i think a lot of us wish that we could do <laughs> exactly um, <laughs> yeah i can understand like bribing somebody to do that but the thing that gets me is that the creature that we're talking about that was located in the sewers sounds like he wanted nothing to do with you and he didn't even want to bribe you for it yeah, that was something that jumped out at me, is that what's being described here seems like more of a peaceful kind of creature. You know, yeah, they can be a little chaotic, they can cause trouble, but they don't seem more aggressive. So it was definitely one of those things where I was like, eh, I don't know if I would call this a Mamagwesi. Like, physical description, sure, it does match up, but behavior-wise, it just doesn't seem quite right. Um, one source did bring up an interesting point, though where they asked, like, could a Mamagwesi have asked this of Ernest, and that's why he didn't approach the media about it. Like, basically, did the Mamagwesi bribe Ernest, like, don't tell anybody about me and I'll give you something. But he's like, <laughs> I don't think go that's away. And then he, like, remembers that he's got to, like, go grab the bride that's down the hall and to the left in his home. And he's like, wait, sir, come back. I'm going to give you this, but you got to keep your mouth zipped about me. You got it? Okay. You got a deal? Right? I was like, eh, I mean, I guess he could be making up the story to, to, like, cover the bribe, but the way everybody described him as acting, like, utterly terrified, I don't think that's how he would have been acting if he had just been bribed by a kind creature. <laughs> yeah. Although, I mean, if you were bribed by a cryptid, something that you don't think is real to begin with, you kind of got to be like, okay. Like, it's not going to be, like, a bribe from, like, the mafia or something. Like, you'd be terrified of that, too. <laughs> That's but true. That's true. You're going to be more shell-shocked and be like, does this thing just, like, appear out of nowhere? Is it, If I tell somebody, is it just going to be in my room the next night? Yeah, that would definitely be a concern of mine. Just like, um, I I don't know like what you do, and you could probably follow up on your threat, so maybe I should listen to what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I can see that. I can see that. Uh one other hypothesis regarding the Mamagwesi is that since this area has been so severely urbanized and the waterways buried, some people have speculated perhaps the Mamagwesi have taken up life in the sewers of Toronto, sur surviving off of the heat emanated by the city, scavenging in its trash, and living in the water from the rivers and streams that still run underground. And so some people have thought, you know, if they're 
being forced into hiding basically maybe it's changed their behavior they've had to become more fearful of humans because it's not like back in the day where they're being respected by the indigenous peoples where nowadays i mean i mean honestly if we discovered them i wouldn't be surprised if people wanted to terminate them or make them research uh, some sort of research study or put them in a zoo or something you know if we found a cryptid population like that you know yeah i wouldn't put it past us humans to do something cruel like that so you know i, I couldn't blame them i couldn't blame them for being a little fearful i mean so. look at how people act with like bigfoot it's the we want to capture bigfoot we want to experiment and see what he is it's like yeah so yeah no i understand him being like eh, no yeah <laughs> So that explanation, I think, if it is a mammogram, I think that would make the most sense to me as far as an explanation of of how it would match up is if it's that kind of situation of, yes, they're there, they got buried along with the streams and the rivers, and now they're just kind of like, you know what, in order for us to survive, humans are bad. <laughs> I could see that. I could see that. <laughs> yeah, I could see that, too. Um, before we move on to the next uh, theory of what this creature could be, I did want to just point out really quick, this was really interesting. One of my sources was describing the range of these creatures, and I presume in terms of just uh, what indigenous people describe them in different areas, I would assume is how they figured out the range of these creatures. Uh, but it was described as, quote, the Lake Superior area of central Ontario, Canada, northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin, northern Michigan, Maine, and also in northern Manitoba and Saskatchewan, Canada. End quote. Mm. So that's, that's a pretty good area where we Is had it? some reports of these creatures uh, at least a while ago. So, yeah. So as far as the next one, that this one was definitely not as popular of a theory, but I wanted to throw it out there because it did get some attention. Uh, the and again, I apologize if I mispronounce this. Oh, Omajinakus. So the Omajinakus that translates to the ugly one, and it is a cryptid that was seen by the indigenous community frequently about forty to fifty years ago. And this was roughly around the same time period that the Toronto Tunnel Monster was seen. And that's the main reason why people speculate could this be the same thing is just because of the timing of it. That a lot of indigenous peoples were seeing this, this particular cryptid um, around that time frame. So they're wondering if this was just another incident of that. There is some similarities, but there's also some differences. It is a furry creature with large teeth. But they are known to have a bald face, and they are significantly shorter in stature. They vaguely resemble a mix between a beaver and an otter, and they're believed to be a bad omen. So I guess oh. in <laughs> that regard, maybe, because this thing was not friendly, so yeah, maybe. But it definitely had a hairy face, and it was much bigger than the Omajinaku is described as. So for that reason, most people have kind of thrown this theory out the window that the, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, but it was something that was brought up as an idea. And as far as the Omajinaku, not too... Um, actually, I shouldn't say not too far away because I forgot to look up where this lake is. I'm getting confused with Lake Ontario. Um, but 
Big Trout Lake, uh, there was a scare with an Omaja Naku not too long ago. In May of 2010, two nurses were hiking with their dog, Sam, along Big Trout Lake, and their dog went into the water and pulled out a creature that had been floating face down in the lake. I don't ever want my dog to do that. Just no thank you. <laughs> leave it in the lake. Don't don't bring it to me, please. Just leave it in the lake. <laughs> drop it. Drop it. Exactly. I'd be screaming at Kai. Drop it. Drop it. <laughs> well, running away from him, too, because he'd be like, look, I got something for you, yes. huh? Yes. Yes. He'd definitely be like, look what I got you. And I'd be like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Take it back where it came from. In any case, put that thing back where it came from. More so, help me. <laughs> In any case, their dog Sam uh, pulled out something that looked very suspiciously like an omajinaku. It had a bald face and a hairy body, and measured about thirty centimeters in length, which is right around the size uh, that the omajinakus were described to be, right around. However, um, after this big internet scare that resulted from it. Multiple zoologists did analyze photos of the creature and agreed it was likely uh, a muskrat, otter, or other relatively small mammal that just lost the hair on its face as it decomposed in the water. Ah. The biggest consensus that I seem to find looking at multiple sources is that it was likely an American mink. Uh, Just looking at the skeletal and skeletal features and the teeth and just different characteristics. And this would not be the first instance of a an animal, a terrestrial animal, or honestly even a aquatic animal, uh, just decomposing in the water and just not looking the way it normally would. So when it washes up on shore, people kind of freaking out and being like, oh my god, it's a monster! And then later scientists just being like, no, it's just a decomposing animal. <laughs> so... This has happened before. Um, I don't have any examples to talk about today, but it, it is a thing that has happened, I will say. <laughs> now I'm sad. Dead otter's sad. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's I was like, well, at least it's a mink. I know Katie really likes otters, so maybe it'll be a little <laughs> bit better if it's a mink and not an otter. It's a mink. It's a mink. <laughs> We're just going to make it be a mink. What the hell does a mink look like? Hold on. Oh, they they look they look kind of like weasels, like big weasels. Oh, they're cute too. I wanted to be a mink. <laughs> well, when I make the Instagram post for this episode, I will throw in there the photograph of the uh, Omajinaku scare, and you can see what a mink without any facial hair looks like. Oh God, <laughs> that's been uh, decomposing in the water for who knows how long. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want that on the Instagram, Marie. I'm not going to lie. It's not too bad, I promise. It's not too bad. I'm <laughs> like, just send it to me privately and say, if you want to see this, you go here. <laughs> the third, probably most prevalent theory as far as what the Toronto Tunnel Monster could be is probably a common theory we get for a lot of these cryptids, and that's aliens. So, Commander X, super reputable, I know. <laughs> like, who the hell is that? 
apparently he's well known for having written a book called Underground Alien Bases, which a lot of people are very much like, this guy is all about, like, conspiracy theory, is not a reliable source of information. But, you know, there's people out there that are like, yes, this guy has got all the good alien information in this book right here. Like, he's he just knows what's going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. I mean, there could be some validity behind it, but if it's all theorized and not factually based, then, yeah. Yeah, so in his book, he... <laughs> He describes terrestrial alien bases, one of which he advised was located in downtown Toronto off of Parliament Street between two apartment buildings and a tunnel that leads to the sewers. So awfully similar to exactly what we described as where this event happened with the Toronto Tunnel Monster. Is he is he doing these things himself or is he just like found this on the Internet? Gonna add it to my book. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> when I was reading the little bit I did up on Commander X, I didn't see anywhere where he's sourcing his information. That's probably debatable. <laughs> We'd probably have to ask him where he's getting his information. <laughs> where your source is coming from, sir. Right? <laughs> I'd like to know that. I'd like to know that for sure. <laughs> List your references. Where'd you get it? <laughs> now, um... Commander X stated, so this was one of his pieces of evidence as to why he believes that there is an alien base underneath Toronto, is that there were strong magnetic fields in the area leading to a higher rate of car accidents. However, there is no credible evidence of a strong magnetic field in this area. And a study was also conducted by Global News that showed that this intersection was actually safer than many of the other intersections in Toronto. So both of those claims are false. <laughs> Sorry, one more time because it's processing in my bed, my my head. <laughs> it's processing in my bed. <laughs> it's processing in my head. So let me run through this one more time. Higher magnetic fields in this area of Toronto, which lead to more car accidents. What are the aliens doing? Playing like the like move the coin like desk thing with the cars, just giant magnet underneath the fucking like. <laughs> and yeet another car into each other what i mean basically that's what it sounds like i was laughing when i was listening to uh one of the podcasts i used as a source because they were making jokes about like people biking through should they be like falling over onto the ground <laughs> and cars are just flying everywhere and light poles are falling over like if they have magnets that big like we have some bigger problems here <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't worry about the tunnel monster anymore. Like, we should worry about the magnets. Right. Oh, my God. They're able to cause car accidents. What other devastation can they cause? <laughs> Some poor bicyclist is just mowing down the, <laughs> the lane. And all of a sudden, he comes to a screeching halt because a magnet got his bike and throws him over the handlebars. And then suddenly there's a car! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not sure that I really was feeling Commander X's uh, <laughs> hypothesis here. Not really feeling that. <laughs> oh, 
hope though he might make an appearance later. You never know. I'll be talking. I about fucking it. hope he does. <laughs> I hope he does. If you got a chance to cite Commander X, you fucking do it, okay? Oh my god. <laughs> oh god. Oh no. Oh no no no, sir. That's not how that works. That's not how any of that works. <laughs> now there is a popular urban legend in the area that is related to aliens, so I will give the people that. That there is a UFO base underneath Lake Ontario, and it's believed uh, that there is because they've seen strange lights hovering over the lake. Uh, now, the site is not far from Lake Ontario, so if it is true that there is a UFO base underneath Lake Ontario, then definitely possible it could be connected to the spot. But again... I'd like to see a little bit more evidence of why we think there's a UFO base there. <laughs> Maybe that'll be a future case. You never know. Maybe I'll do a whole episode about the hypothesis that there's a UFO base under like Ontario and we can see what evidence they got. <laughs> well, first I'm like, do we send scuba divers down there? Like an <laughs> RV? Like do we send anything down there to check? And then I'm like, the the playback of earlier of like, oh hell no, why are you going into the tunnel? Mm-mm. <laughs> Ain't no way. I'm like yeah, I wouldn't go scuba diving down there either. Because you don't know how those things depressurize. Like, uh, yeah. Could be slower, could be faster than us. Are you willing to take that 50 50 chance? <laughs> I'm not. I wasn't even thinking about how fast they depressurize. I was just thinking, like, I'm down there in the dark and the deep water and. Who knows what these things can do if they can grab me and suck me into their UFO, UFO or <laughs> Suddenly the oh, door opens you. and you're part of the mothership and you've got your hands up and they're like, we've got $20 for you. We're going to send you back to the surface and you're not going to say shit. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so... Aliens. Aliens are a possible theory for the Toronto Tunnel Monster, so just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> As we wrap up at the end here, there are a few other brief explanations I will throw out there that have also come up. Again, not ones that have been discussed a lot. It seems like the primary theory that has come up is that is the Memoguese. That seems to be the the main one that I see the most, uh, but some other ones that have been mentioned, uh, of course, like, could it have been a human? <laughs> I don't know what human would be about three feet tall and hairy all over, but I guess you never know. <laughs> uh, but they, it was commented on, even at that time, that there were cases of humans living in the sewers of New York, so it's not unheard of for humans to be living in sewers, so could this be happening in Toronto? And, and Toronto sewage workers did report that they re they occasionally had to remove mattresses from the sewers, so not entirely out of the question. I still wonder, you know, we're talking about somebody three feet tall and really hairy. What's the likelihood? But I guess you never know. I guess you never know. It's not entirely out of the realm of possibility, but I'd say probably unlikely. Uh, in my opinion, at least. <laughs> I'm over here, I'm like, this poor dude's just trying to furnish his fucking apartment. 
And they keep removing it. When he gets it like down there, he's like, okay, I'll be back tomorrow to pick this up. Like it's taken him all day to get it to where it's at. All day. He's like, I'll be back tomorrow to finish the job. Goes home, goes to sleep, comes back and it's gone. <laughs> He's got to start the process all over again and go find another mattress on the side of the road in the evening. So he's not discovered by anyone else. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that's come up is could this have been some sort of urban animal? So probably a raccoon, raccoon, a raccoon, or a beaver <laughs> that got into the sewers. Uh, <laughs> some people have even said, could it be an escaped circus or pet monkey that got into the sewers? Since there's definitely been cases of uh, you know zoo animals or circus animals occasionally escaping, and definitely cases of people's random wild pet animals also escaping. So that's not entirely out of the question either. Either. When I think of circus animals or, like, pet monkeys, I usually think of, like, what are they, capuchin monkeys? Yeah, the, the cute little capuchins mm-hmm. that are, like, mischievous but adorable and relatively small. Yeah. Can be trained to steal from yeah. people, you know. Yeah. 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 Those types of monkeys. I don't think three-foot, like, <laughs> chimpanzee. All right. Yeah. Or baboon. Ooh, yeah, baboon. Yeah, no. Don't want to run into a baboon. No, thank you. Which baboon would fit the gray Yeah, the, fur. the gray fur. I'm trying to think if they'd be about the right size or if they'd be a little too big. I want to say they'd be a slightly too big, but I, I think they're slightly too big, but like... But it would be close, I think. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've watched a documentary about baboons. But... <laughs> I just know they're scary as all hell, and you should stay oh, yeah. away from them. Yeah, Same I know with chimpanzees. Get in the fight with a baboon for sure. Uh, <laughs> You're gonna lose. <laughs> oh yeah. The point was brought up, especially regarding this idea of like, could it have been some sort of animal? Is that animals can sometimes make noises that sound like words? Uh, again, I don't know. I'm like some. I don't know. Something doesn't sound right. Yeah, I'm just like, nah, nah, I don't know. Scary, vicious monkey that that yells, "Stay away!" Like, mm, I don't know. But it is it is a hypothesis that's out there. Uh, and then one final note. This one's not an explanation, more just a, a viewpoint or a note that I wanted to make. Is uh, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier about the sewer workers. Uh, urban explorers are known to be exploring these underground tunnels, but they don't talk about their experiences openly since these activities are considered to be illegal. So that begs the question, are they running into creatures like these underground and nobody's saying it because nobody wants to get arrested or look like they're crazy? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And even when you like brought up like what it looked like, I'm like, huh, I feel like I've seen a video of this thing, but it was in, I think the San Diego tunnels or it's like somewhere that's labeled as like the gates to hell where urban explorers like regularly go to yeah and it's like why would you go inside somewhere that's labeled gates to hell there's no (laughs) logical reason 
to do that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, we don't condone. <laughs> but I do wonder if there's an urban explorer out there that has gone in, video recorded it, and posted it on YouTube. Because technically, if I remember correctly from my watching urban exploration days, as long as they do not videotape, and this is not tips on how to do it, get permission. As long as they do not videotape how they got in, the video can still be posted without fear of legal ramifications. Huh. So. Well, maybe. 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 Not tips. <laughs> I repeat, not tips of how to do this. Ask for permission, okay? Yes, definitely ask for permission. And you, wa- you want to be safe. You want to make sure you're going into it in a safe way and part of that is asking for permission you definitely don't want to be trespassing or going into some of these areas that perhaps are blocked off because they're very dangerous uh so definitely ask for permission before you do any sort of exploration or plan on recording be aware of your surroundings and travel safely yeah In any case, there is a lot of different ideas floating around of what this could be, and as well as things too, where it's kind of weird, it was only seen the one time, at least as far as we know, it's only been reported as being seen the one time, but he didn't even want to come to the media about it. I mean, he didn't even want to talk about it. It got out. So that, like I said, that still comes back to that thought of, I'm like, you know, other people could have seen this and just not want to talk about it. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm curious to think, or not think curious to see (laughs) what all you listeners think about this uh if you think that it's likely this could be a case of the mimigwesi where they just like we were saying you know they're trapped under the city now and maybe they're having to be a little bit more defensive because of the harsh world we live in or is it aliens (laughs) is it some strange escapee monkey what do you think it is It's just the planets of the apes monkey, okay? He's just down there. <laughs> what was his name? Is it like Oscar or something like that? I honestly can't remember. It's been I, so long. <laughs> I don't remember. It's been way too long, but it's the only one that can talk. <laughs> At least to begin with, until it starts getting more serious. Then they can all talk, and it's like, oh, that's yeah. not good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this happened, what, what did I say? 40, 50 years ago, so I mean, maybe it's maybe it's the start, and monkeys are going to start talking to us. <laughs> oh no, it's time! <laughs> They're fighting back! It's time to run! <laughs> uh, Alright, listeners, let us know if you are in Toronto or if you've ever visited Toronto if you've heard about the Toronto Tunnel Monster and what you think about it let us know what you think it is we'd love to hear from you and be sure to come back next week (laughs) (laughs) see you later bye thank you again for listening to Haunting Cases Podcast please make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Haunting Cases Podcast and on Twitter at Haunting Cases If you have a listener tale, story request, or any questions, email us at hauntingcasespodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. So, what do you say, listeners? Are you haunted too?